Hello and welcome to Into the Basement. This is Jess Hanna. And I'm Adrian Hanna. And tonight we're going to talk about murder. murder. <laughs> we certainly are. Um, actually, tonight we're going to talk about a really complicated murder and another bunch and a bunch of other weird stuff. Tonight we're talking about the Russell Faria case. Now, this case, as many of you, if you are a true crime person and you have heard of this case or followed this case, you know how frustrating this case was before in the beginning and you know how frustrating this case continues to be well tonight we're going to talk about the details of the case and i'm going to give you as much information as i can um adrian's never heard this case before so he's in for quite a ride and if you've heard, if you do know this case you know what a ride he's in for um for those of you who don't know you are also in for a ride because this is about to get crazy so. It already sounds like I'm going to get frustrated and angry at some point during this podcast. You are certainly going to get frustrated and angry at some point during this podcast. Okay. I promise you. Because it's frustrating and angering. <laughs> okay. So, Russell Faria was married to a woman named Betty Faria. Okay. Um, Checks out. She, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about Betty first because Betty is pretty much the star of this case as far as like personality and likability um she was by all accounts very kind a very colorful woman very lively woman but also a very unscrutable woman she was lots of fun but didn't put up with any shit and uh, everyone loved being around her she had a bubbly personality she was absolutely wonderful person to be around she was an insurance she worked for an insurance agency however she had started djing at 18 and was absolutely excellent at it according to everyone she she could get anybody on the dance floor she was a great dj well i mean i guess if you work for an insurance agency at some point you got to figure out how to you know vent or let loose somehow well, I, she started djing before she became an insurance person so she just really wanted to be a dj and i mean when and just for for reference here, when she passed away, because she's our she's our victim in this case, she was forty two years old and she was still DJing. So this woman was like a twenty four year veteran of, I think just like wedding wedding DJing. I don't think she was like going to clubs and stuff, but for all I know, she was. You know, if she was, good for good for Betsy. Right. So Betsy was actually um, a mother of two when she met Russell. Um, she'd been married before and it hadn't worked out, and she met Russell. She had two two little girls or two young late two young ladies, I should say. They were in their early preteens when she met Russell. Gotcha. Um, her daughter's names were Mariah and Leah. Uh, she married her and Russell married in January of two thousand. Okay. Um, and Russ said that after he met Betsy, his life got a hundred times better. She encouraged him to DJ. No, actually, I think he does DJ. <laughs> That's my understanding. Um, but she encouraged him to go back to school. And then he got a computer science degree and was able to get a better job and to improve his life, which, of course, is always nice when you have a partner who encourages you to to be better and right. doesn't just, you know, tell you to go to work and get on with it. You know, mm -hmm. um, they had they were married for um, they married in 2000 and. For a few years, things were a little rocky, so they had a short split. Okay. Um, but they were still very friendly, and I think that they weren't – they didn't divorce. They just, you know, split up and decided that they were going to kind of be a, be apart for a little while. But they were still in touch. And then Betsy, who had kind of 
started going to this church, invited him to come. Okay. And he said yes, which is lovely. I think when you, again, we're talking about positive relationships here. He maybe wasn't a religious guy, but he, she asked him to go to church with her and he did. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that that, that the, the sermon that she took him to and she, and my understanding from the interviews I've seen with Russ, this was not an, she didn't intentionally take him to this specific sermon. Right. It just happened. It just happened this way. Gotcha. Um, she didn't know what the, what the topic would be, but apparently the sermon was about marriage. Nice. And so it, the two of them thought it was funny and they started spending more time together again and eventually reconciled, which cool. is wonderful. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, in January of 2010, Betsy was diagnosed with breast cancer, which in nowadays doesn't have to be a death sentence. And so I don't think it was scary as scary as it could have been even 30 years ago. Right. But despite that, it's still a scary thing. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and... But her family said that she handled the diagnosis with unbelievable grace and she continued to do the things that interest her. So she was into tennis. She kept playing tennis. She was still DJing. She was still, she was just, she was bubbly and great and she was just still having fun because her, Betsy really wanted her life to be a good time. She was a very easygoing person and she was fun and sought out fun. And insurance fraud. <laughs> and occasionally insurance fraud. Um <laughs> Which is funny, you mentioned that, but we'll talk about that later. So by early fall of 2011, she was in remission, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, So to celebrate, her and Russell decided to plan basically a recovery cruise where they would invite all of their friends and family to this cruise. And then they would go and have a great time and celebrate the fact that she was completely cancer free. And then in October of 2011, um, they found out that the cancer had actually come back and had metastasized into her liver. And unfortunately, it was an, an unoperable and she was essentially, this was her death sentence. Right. So they, doctors gave her about three to five years, but they went on the cruise anyway. Fuck it, right? right. Like, why not? Uh, and according to Betsy, it was, they had an amazing time. I'm sure th- there was friends and family with them. Her and Russ apparently had the best sex they ever had. Like, it was... Well, I just imagine that, like, at that point, like, when you when you find that out and you've already got the party plan and you're just like, fuck it, you know, you're still going to have a good time. Everyone's going to have a good time. Damn straight. Like, hey, quit being a bummer about the fact that I'm dying and let's have a good fucking time, yeah. yo. Let's drink some bo- beers and swim in this pool and have a wonderful, e- have a wonderful time. So that was in November of 2011. And unfortunately for Betsy and Russ, this would be their last true bit of happiness because a couple of weeks later, she was dead and it wasn't the cancer that killed her. Dun, dun, dun. So it was a Tuesday, the day of this event. Um, It was December 27th, 2011. Okay. Betsy um, had stopped by her mother's house to kind of hurt her her family. She was close to her other family. So she stopped by her mom's house and chit-chatted and then she had a chemo appointment at alvin j siteman cancer center in st louis actually i think it's in troy missouri i don't know that it's in st louis missouri but that's we're talking about the st louis region in the st louis area yes okay um but after her appointment she planned to return to her mother's um her mom's friend bobby was a former babysitter of betsy and 
offered to take her to her chemo appointment. Well, that was nice of her. Yes, very much. And then offered to drive her home. Um, Russell was actually meant to pick her up at her mother's. Russell goes, we're going to get into what Russell does on Tuesdays in a second, but he goes to front to a friend's house on Tuesday. So he was going to pick, she was going to, so Betsy was going to go back to her mom's after her appointment. And Russell was meant to pick her up at her mom's who, which was five, like five minutes away from where they. The chemo appointment was. Yeah. Okay. So, oh no, from her mother's house. Oh. So he was going to pick her up at her oh, mom's. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but she texted him saying that her white cell count was pretty low and that she was going to go home and go to sleep because she was quite tired. I can imagine. And that a friend was driving her home. However, instead of Bobby, her friend's, her mom's friend mm-hmm. driving her home, Betsy's friend, Pam Hupp, who'd been attending, who'd kind of on and off been attending chemo appointments with Betsy, was actually there that day and she offered to, and she said she'd drive her home. So Hupp drove her home around 7 p.m. And called her husband around 7.04 to say she was headed home. Um, okay. So, Tuesday nights, Russell normally had dinner with his mother. Okay. And then would go to his friend's house that was about... They lived in Troy, and then their friend lived about in O'Fallon. So, his, the mom must live in o, O'Fallon as well. Gotcha. So, he would have dinner with his mother, and then he would go to his friend's house to play games and or watch movies. Nerd. <laughs> After he got the text from Betsy, though, saying that she didn't need a ride, he called his mom to say he wouldn't be making dinner that night because he was already running behind. He needed to get dog food. He needed to get gas, things like that. And so... Well, plus he was probably worried about her. About Betsy? Yeah. Well, I'm sure he was after she said she was sick and she was going to go home. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, not like worried, worried, but like, you know, oh, she's not feeling good. I need to go check on her. Well, no, because that's not what he did. He... He he went and ran errands and then went to his friend's house. Oh. So. <laughs> well, never mind then. So, but I imagine that she said she wanted to go home and sleep. He didn't feel like he needed to really check on her. I feel like when you're dealing with a person with cancer, well, maybe you know this. Um, when they say they're tired, you just let them sleep. I mean, I don't know. I guess. Uh, anyway, so he called his mom, said he wouldn't make dinner, and then he ran a few errands. So he stopped at Conoco uh, to get gas to get gas and then he went to another store to pick up dog food and got this account is really detailed yeah that we know what gas station he went to we do know what gas station he went to um and then he went to another store to pick up cigarettes and then dog food and then right before he got to his friend's house he stopped another convenience store and got a couple of drinks okay um and then arrived at his house his friend's house about 6 p.m the group of friends that hung out um, consisted of Russell and about five other people. Um, they often played an RPG, a role-playing game, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, um, called Rollmaster. Are you familiar with this game? Nope. Um, but that night, one of their friends couldn't make it. When this happens in role-playing game things, so if somebody can't make it, you don't necessarily want to play because maybe their character is important in your group or whatever. So instead of playing the game, they watched a couple of movies and smoked a little pot. And that's, they just hung out and watched movies and smoked pot. That was literally what they did from 6 to 9 o'clock. Okay. Um, Russ then headed home about 9 p.m. And on his way home, stopped at Arby's to pick up a couple of sandwiches. So, this is Russ's night. Okay. He arrived home because he's about a half an hour away from home. So, he arrived home about 9.40 p.m. And found Betsy bloody and dead on the living room floor. 
That had to mess with his head. He called 911 in a panic, obviously, crying and practically hyperventilating, and told the operator that Betsy had killed herself. Betsy, I think probably because of the cancer and probably other stressors in her life, um, had in the past talked about committing suicide. Sure. Um, Doesn't sound unreasonable. No. She has cancer. It's scary. Maybe she's got some other depression issues that we don't know about. Whatever. doesn't matter. Right. Um, Russ was... Apparently, she had attempted as well, clearly not successfully, but because of this background, and when Russ came in, he saw slices on her wrists. And he also saw a knife in her neck, but I don't think he was thinking clearly. Right. I think he just said she killed herself because he assumed that she killed herself. Because to be honest, who assumes that your loved one is dead and has been murdered? murdered. Yeah. Your assumption is... That something has happened to them, especially if they've said, I'm going to kill myself, and you see a slash on their wrist, you may think, boom, they've killed themselves. So when police arrived and first responders arrived, they, to them, they were like, how the, why, how did you think this was a suicide? They were shocked. Right. Because it was very obvious that she hadn't killed herself. To them, it was very obvious that she hadn't killed herself. Right. To the professionals. To the professionals, yes. (laughs) She had multiple stab wounds. I mean, like, she was massacred. When they, at the final count, she was, they say that she was stabbed 55 times. Yeesh. That sounds personal. And this was on her body, on her neck, on her arms, on all these places. And then the knife in her neck, uh, which was a serrated edged master chef knife. Okay was buried pretty deep into her neck. Like Oof. to a point where like she bled out of her neck wound. Like but and but here's the thing. She bled out of her neck wound, but there was very little blood anywhere else. So they think that she was that the neck wound was the what killed her and then she was stabbed multiple times after she died. Gotcha. So that that's might be important later. So but they of course thought just like what you said, it takes a lot of anger to cause that amount of damage it's very personal Mm -hmm. um and that they thought she'd been dead about an hour okay but immediately because he's first of all because he's a husband and Mm -hmm. second of all because violently stabbed 55 times well third of all he was like it's a suicide and they're like this is not a suicide i'm sure that played a part in it they russell was immediately a suspect right i mean and so they took him in for questioning, obviously, yeah. because that's what happens. Yep. And they asked him why he thought it was a suicide. And he said all the things that I already said to mm-hmm. you. He saw these slashes. She had talked about it before. She had attempted it before. These are things. But they couldn't understand how he could possibly think it was a suicide. Right. But, okay, I just want to say for the record that holding out all judgment, that I don't think that somebody saying that it's a suicide should make them a suspect. Right. I think that that's a weird, it's a weird thing to assume that they're a suspect because they say suicide. Because if they did stab somebody 55 times, it would become very clear very fast. Sure. And yeah. they wouldn't be able to, like, cover up the 55 st- but I mean, like, stab wounds. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, trained professionals who are going in and looking at the scene versus the husband. You know, he's well, not gonna—he's I mean. not gonna walk in and be like, "Hmm, I, let me assess this situation." Oh, it seems like there's uh, a, a knife sticking out of her neck and all of these other things going on. Uh, um, obviously, it wasn't a suicide. So when I call nine one one, I should let them know that I think that she's been murdered. No, he walked in, 
and saw his wife dead with blood around her and saw the cuts on her on her arms and was like, oh my God, she she finally did it. She killed herself like she said she was going to so many times before. Like I get, I get where he's I mean, coming I from. So many, but it was enough I, times that yeah. he mentioned it. Yeah, and the, but the, the point still stands that you know it, you can't just assume that the guy is guilty just because he's like, oh, she killed herself. No, she didn't. Obviously, you did it. No, that that doesn't that doesn't play in my book. So, see, I'm already starting to get frustrated. Okay. And I feel like we haven't even gotten to the actual frustrating part. Um. So. Russell was, I'm going to call him Russ most of the time, just so you guys know, um, was given a polygraph test and police said he failed it. However, Russ wasn't even sure that the machine was on at the time. <laughs> so this is something I found out is that a, the police can lie to you about, about a polygraph test. Police can lie to you. That's, right. It's a legal thing. That's why you should get a fucking lawyer, right. which we've talked about. But then it, this is a, another one we talked about. If your wife is murdered, you don't immediately think I should call a lawyer. You immediately think I'm going to help them out. I'm going to tell them everything I know. Mm-hmm. You're not going to immediately assume. I need to assessment. help them find out who did this. Yes. Um, so I understand where he didn't. But as soon as they t- asked him to take a polygraph test, I think I would have called a lawyer just for the sake of having a lawyer there. Right. But because the police can lie to you about a polygraph test, it seems pretty interesting to me that Rustin find that the machine seemed to even be on. He basically said, it looked like they had, like me and you sitting here, it looked like it was, they had a laptop and he was sitting next to it. Like, I don't think they even hooked him up to anything. Weird. But I don't know. This is, this is just what I'm going on what Russ said. Clearly Missouri has advanced technology where they can do (laughs) live. Well, they could have been doing a voice, a voice, because they have voice stress tests and stuff too. Though, I I feel like those are even more unreliable than a, than a polygraph though. We'll have to look into it. We'll have to look into the studies. Because, I mean, like, and it also depends on when they did it. If they did it the night that he found his oh, his dead yeah. wife, yeah. of course his, everything's going to be aberrant. He's like, going to be oh, shaky. Yeah. 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 Well, they immediately accused him of killing her. And he was really adamant that he hadn't killed her. Like, like to a, he wasn't like, I've seen, I've seen a few of the interviews. I've seen a few of the tapes. And... He looks very much very frustrated that they keep accusing him. I I would imagine. I mean, like, I I'm I'm currently at the stance that he didn't do it. And if you didn't do it, of course you're going to be like that about it. You're just going to be like, no asshole. But I'm just I'm saying this because I'm saying this because oftentimes when you see a husband interviewed about his wife's murder, they're kind of and it turns out they did it. They're not as adamant as he was. Like, he was doing the thing that they say to do. Okay. Like, he was, or that the, the police like to look for, which is, like, absolutely adamantly denying and saying, no, seriously, why do you guys keep talking to me? There's somebody else out there kind of thing. Right. But I digress, and I'm sorry that I'm, I get very frustrated when I watch police interrogation sometimes, and so I get a little ranty. So, please. I'm with you. Bear with that. me. I'm with you. So another one of the reasons that police were convinced that Russ had done this is because they had brought in Pam Hupp, okay. the woman who had driven, Take, driven her home, Betsy yeah. home. Pam and Betsy had worked together in the past for State Farm and had lost touch and then reconnected after Betsy got cancer. This was, you know, because I think you reconnect with people who 
they realize that they don't they haven't talked to you and then all of a sudden they find you have cancer and then all of a sudden they want to be they're your friend again right not because they're trying to latch onto a cancer person but because they're terrified that they might lose somebody that they definitely cared a great right. deal for so hop claimed that russ always spoke about the money he would get after betsy died okay um she had said he was verbally abusive she had said that he drank a lot he was a big drinker and that occasionally he degraded his wife there were other people who said that this was the case that he degraded her so there were corroborating yeah accounts. he would say things like oh you're too stupid to to know that but he was also a jokester kind of guy so it could have been that he was joking and people took it the wrong way gotcha a lot of people found Russ to be kind of off-putting. He was kind of an off-putting guy. He was loud. He was boisterous. He was, like I said, could be a verbally kind of nasty to her. I assume this is why they split up when they split up. Right. Um, apparently, he didn't. He had said things about her Christian faith. This is, but this is all people coming out after he was accused of murdering her. Sure. So it could be that he was. A decent guy who said stupid shit sometimes. Right. But that, but my point here is that Pam said some things and they weren't out of line with his character. Gotcha. At least his character according to everyone else they talked to. Yes. Okay. Um, Hup, as we know, was with Betsy on the night that she was murdered. Right. And said that Betsy had planned to ask Russ that night if they could move to a relative's house in O'Fallon which was closer to the chemo, the chemo. And then they would rent out their house for a little extra income. Mm -hmm. But Betsy was sure that Russ wasn't going to be happy about that because he liked living in his own house, which I think everyone does. I don't think yeah. anyone wants to no. live with anyone else. Russ. And actually this is backed up. This may be backed up by what Russ, something Russ said. Russ had said that during a phone call with Betsy earlier in the day, she had said, hey, there's something I want to talk to you about tonight. And he said, is it bad or good? And she said, oh, it's good. It's it's great. Like, don't worry about it. It's not it's not a bad thing, whatever. But Russ had said that he didn't know that this was what she, that he had never heard this plan. Right. That she had never talked to him about this plan. So he said, the only, the first time I've heard it is when you've told me this. You're saying this to the police. Mm -hmm. So... Hup also claimed that Russ had played a game with Betsy where he would put his put a pillow over her head and say, that is what it's going to feel like to be dead or that's what it'll feel like to die. Weird. Um, only to say afterward he was kidding. Russ says, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's an accusation I've never heard. I've right. never done that. Well, also, like, it doesn't sound like, to be honest with you, it doesn't sound like uh, Hup is really that close of a friend to betsy to be able to that you would think that betsy was act, would actually like confide in her with like weird shit like that you know like like if 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 you did that to me like if that was some weird game that you you played with me like i wouldn't just go like randomly telling people like oh you're driving me home from the bar or whatever cool let me tell you this weird thing that my wife does no it, i'm not gonna t talk to people about it because it's weird it's a weird thing that you do I mean, sure, maybe it's a it's an, a sign that you're going to murder me or something. But, like, it also could just be a weird thing that you do, you know? Exactly. And that's the thing. Well, his... I, I, if I were the cops, I would have taken that with a grain of salt. But I'm not the cops, and so who knows? Well, the thing of it is, though, is this woman ended up murdered. 
Well, yeah. You can't take anything with a grain of salt when somebody ends up murdered. That's true. But it sounds like this woman has a lot of things to say about about Russ that are things that she has no business knowing. Interesting that you say that. So, in addition to the allegations Hupp made, crime scene investigators found blood on the light switch in Russ and Betsy's bedroom. And in their bedroom closet found a pair of Russ's blood, Russ's slippers with blood not on the top of them. It okay. was like, uh, like on the side. Like on the toe? Like on like the edge. Like so on the by outside. the toe. Like, yeah, okay. By the toe all the way down to about the middle of the slipper. Um, investigators claim that the scene looked as if, if it had been cleaned up, but when they had tried to take photos of it, all of the photos had come back unusable. Uh, what does that mean? Like they were dark. Like when they went to the oh. dark room and then they weren't they weren't able to use them. So their photographer sucks. Well, they said it was because the camera wasn't working, but I'm sure it was because the photographer sure, sucked. Sure, it was so. the camera. <laughs> so investigators are also concerned about the 911 call because Russ is Also, her... I just I, I hang on. I want to go back to this camera thing. This was in 2011, right? Yeah. Which means they were probably using a digital camera. Which means they're probably using, they're probably, they're probably not using a dark room. They're probably just calling, I don't know. But I, yes, but what I'm saying is that, that the, the, uh, the image file is a raw file, which means that it's got all of the data there, high just levels wait, of data Adrian. so they can over, we're going to get back to this. They can change the exposure so they can actually like see the things that they're supposed to be able to see. Oh, okay. Continue. We're going to get back to okay. it. Okay. But see, this is a very frustrating case. So yeah. far you're, you're where I was. So. So on the 911 call, Russ could be heard calming down and then getting upset again. And the police felt it was staged. The mother felt it was odd. I listened to the tape. It's a little bit histrionic. Okay. It's I it, he it didn't entirely seem like like it felt like he wasn't surprised but he was playing for the camera or playing for the tape. I to me. To be honest with you, I don't I, 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 but I don't know how people react. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like you can't, you, you can't use that kind of thing as definitive proof one way or the other no, about something. No, you cannot. Because, like, uh, we've talked about this before when when we've watched uh, true crime shows together. Like, there'll be like you'll watch one episode and the cops will talk about it. Could be like the same cop basically in one episode saying. Oh, he was over emotional, which was ob- obviously pointed to the fact that he was guilty. And then the next episode, literally the same cop will say he wasn't emotional enough. So clearly that meant that he was guilty. They don't do that anymore. They, it's not, it's, they're not supposed to do that anymore. Right. They're but not what supposed I, to use that. But what I'm saying is like, like you can't listen to the 911 tape and, and say definitively one way or the other that, that, that he did it because that he did or didn't do it. Like you can't say one way or the other for sure and you you shouldn't be able to use that as proof because like you don't know how a person's going to react to that it's impossible to tell and that's so stupid all right well we're all now we're going to talk about something else okay russell had an alibi yeah he was at his friend's house with four alibi witnesses smoking the marijuana smoking like a cigarette and watching conan the Bar- the new conan the barbarian oof that's not much <laughs> of an alibi yeah. Yeah, they all said it sucked, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> which is a really weird thing to like. Good, checks out. It sounds like they actually did see it. <laughs> so, in addition, surveillance cameras at the two gas stations that he stopped at 
to buy gas and then cigarettes and drinks showed him there. There he's caught on tape. So he was there at the times he said he was there. His cell phone pings in all the right places on the way to his friend's house and then stays there during the period he says he was there. So and we know and we this is what we know and I don't want anybody to come at me and say, "Oh, you know cell phone towers aren't fucking re- reliable." They're not. But the reason they're not reliable is because if one's busy, then they'll move on to the next one, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. His phone was pinging in a place at or around his friend's house for the entire time. Like right. it wasn't moving around the country. It was at the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. in the right areas at the right time. It wasn't moving back to his house. It was staying in the in the area of a half an hour away from his home. Right. So the Arby's receipt, in addition, the Arby's receipt that he went, because he went to Arby's after mm-hmm. he left the house, puts him there at 9.09 p.m. Okay. Okay. And the Faria house is about a half an hour from the Arby's. Making his timeline of getting home at 9.40 and making the... Actually, timeline of getting home and then making the phone call at 9.40 Mm -hmm. accurate. Like, he got home and he called the police. Like, that was... He didn't, like, get home, murder her, and then call the police 20 minutes later. This is immediately. But the police didn't buy it. They didn't buy any of it. I'm currently shaking my head in annoyance. Okay, so now we're going to get... Because he was charged with the murder, obviously... We wouldn't be talking about this and in frustration if they'd gone, oh. Well, clearly you didn't do it. Let's go find the real guy that did it. Oh, we found him. Ta-da. End of story. So during the trial, prosecutor Leah Askey gave evidence. And this is what the evidence she gave. She she gave, I'm just going to say what she, the points she made and anything I haven't talked about before, I'm going to go over it. Okay. So, excuse me. She spoke about the 911 call, Mm. saying it felt staged and not real. Again, we're talking about a situation where we can't right that's a silly thing but anyway the family and friends of russ and betsy including her daughters said that russ had a temper now one of the biggest examples of this is that apparently russ had once chased one of the girl's boyfriends around with a baseball bat so there's an so there's this understanding that he might be violent if driven to it russ's gloves and jacket were folded neatly near the body so he took off his jacket and his gloves and folded them and then or or did that um they're saying that he set it up that he folded his jacket and his gloves near her body to look make it look like he just got home mm-hmm. and it looks weird to have something folded so nicely near the body hup's testimony was of course used um the blood in the bedroom and the blood on the slippers mm-hmm. russell's semen was found in betsy but i want to clarify they were married first mm-hmm. of all and Russell had told the police that they'd had sex on Sunday. There were like eight semen cells in her body on Tuesday. Eight cells is not proof. Right. It's eight semen cells is not proof. A thousand semen sp- cells proves that you've had sex that night. Well, plus it doesn't really prove anything because they're married and they he might might have been like oh yeah we had sex on sunday wait i forgot we did have sex last night or this morning or something yeah on tuesday morning i forgot about that exactly my bad the alibi according to the prosecution was too convenient he'd like he'd purposely made sure to be seen at those gas stations and things and at and purposely gone to arby's and that his alibi witnesses their statements were too similar now, oh my gosh, five guys hanging out together had an ha, had statements that were almost identical. Yeah, they literally smoked Shocking. pot and 
watched movies. Yeah. Like, what else are they supposed to say with each other? We all sat there for for hours. We didn't really like the movie, the Conan movie. I saw. I think. I think this. Uh, this prosecutor was just mad because she really did like Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> and she was mad that they, you know, didn't like it. Well, you're gonna get madder at her later. Just letting you know. Okay. So, the defense, led by attorney Joel Schwartz, focused on what they found to be the investigation's biggest blind spot. And that was Pam Hupp. Star witness Pam Hupp. Star witness Pam Hupp. Pam Hupp was the last person to see Betsy alive. She dropped Betsy off at 7 p.m. There were many inconsistencies in Hupp's statements. She told Betsy's mom that she never went into the house. Then she told police she'd been in the house for about 10 or 15 minutes. First telling them that she'd only been in the living room, and then later changing her statement to say that she was in the bedroom. Okay, I can I I will concede the fact that that you know given your initial statement you say oh I was only in the living room, and then later coming back and being like oh no I went in the kitchen and had a glass of water my bad you know but it seems a little odd you know oh I went into the bedroom why the fuck did you go in the bedroom. Exactly. And also the the inconsistency of I didn't go in the house versus I was in the house is kind of a big gap for me. That's a big jump. She also told the police, I mean, I don't really understand why this matters. She Because this is, goes back to the under, initial statement versus second statement. She initially told the police that she, Betsy was sitting down when she left mm-hmm. and the couch. And then later she said, oh, it makes sense that she would have walked me to the door. Okay. So she, she said that she basically remembered that Betsy walked her to the door in her mind, or that's what she said. She said, right. it makes sense today. This is a very weird statement. It makes sense today that she walked me to the door. It's a weird statement, but it also is goes to what you said. You can be like, oh, she was sitting on the couch when I left. And then you're like, oh, no, she got up and walked me to the door. Of course she did. Yeah. You know, it uh, makes sense that she did that. It's, it's been shown that, that, that uh, uh, witness recollection of any event, whether it be a crime or not, is is highly, highly, highly uh, unreliable. Yeah. That's why often they don't, they try not to use eyewitness statements or eyewitness testimony anymore. But phone records indicate that Betsy stopped answering calls around 7.21 p.m., including a phone call from her daughter who was expecting her call, whose call Betsy was expecting because she was meant to um, okay some charges because her daughter was going to change um, her cell phone plan. Gotcha. So her daughter was going to call her to say, hey, can you say yes, it's fine? And she didn't answer these calls. Okay, so we're talking... An important phone call that she knew was coming in, so she wouldn't just blow it off. Exactly. So yeah. she totally missed that. And that was around 721. Betsy, or not Betsy, Pam had, Pam Hupp had been there around 704, possibly up until 720. So why didn't, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So then at 7.27, Hupp called Betsy from her cell phone, apparently to let her know she made it home. But talking about cell phone records again, Hupp wasn't anywhere near her house. She was closer to Betsy's house. So again, we're talking about a half, about a half an hour distance. Mm-hmm. So any hit of a cell phone tower close to Betsy, or close to her house, if she's close to home, she should be hitting off of her towers near tower. her home, yeah. but she's hitting off towers near Betsy's home. Gotcha. So we're talking about a timeline here that she said she left at 7.04. Now she, now, and then she said she called at 7.27. And it turns out it would have taken her half an hour to get home anyway. So it's already a little suspect. But the police 
definitely don't think this is suspicious, by the way. And here's the big one. Hup had, only three or four days earlier, become the beneficiary of Betsy's $150,000 life insurance policy. According to Hup, Betsy agreed to this, or wanted this, so that Hup could set up a trust for her daughters, because Hup didn't trust, or I'm sorry, Betsy didn't trust that her daughters and Russ wouldn't blow through that money. So she wanted somebody who could, who was a little more responsible with money to kind of put it in a trust for the girls, be the executioner of that trust. Executioner? Executor <laughs> of that trust. Freudian slip. Um, and others in her family she wasn't quite trustworthy of either. And I, and I, I where, and this has been proven, this has actually happened. So this wasn't like a, this wasn't, a faked insurance policy change. Mm-hmm. This was a real insurance policy change. I don't know if that was the reason behind it, but that is the reason that Hup told her, told the police was the reason for it. Gotcha. I, uh, this is why you should never, if you're, if, if you're doing something like that, like, oh, I don't trust my family to not blow through, through the money. I want it set up in a trust. Get a lawyer Get a to lawyer. do it. a lawyer, exactly. A lawyer or an accountant. Somebody who you can pay money to, to, that's guaranteed legally responsible reasonably guarantee the that they're yeah. going to do do what you want them to do exactly. with that money well that and not just some friend that you haven't seen in a while that well just they have recently... been friends they have been i mean we're talking uh, she was diagnosed in 2010 and then this is 2011 so they've mm-hmm. been hanging out for a, at least a year yeah but it i mean still like, you can become very close friends with somebody in a year i'm not gonna trust my money to somebody that i just recently became friends with again uh, like a year ago it's not going to happen. Well, you're not going to be surprised, or maybe you will be surprised to learn, Adrian, that also, instead of going to a notary to have this witnessed, they went to a library and had a librarian witness it. Well, maybe the librarian was a notary. Yeah, but we're talking about a very suspicious... Oh, yeah. No, this is not normal behavior for somebody who is innocently just going to take care of your money for you. It's weird ass. It's weird. It's, it's all very weird. I wish... I. I wish Betsy hadn't been murdered. I'd love to know what her thought process was after. Of I just, it's so confusing. Yeah. If she was, ah, but this is the most, the most frustrating thing about this case is the police not seeing the suspiciousness of Pam Hub. Okay. Right. Well, that and the next thing I'm going to tell you after I tell you this thing, because the police told. The insurance company that Hupp wasn't a suspect, okay? Because she wasn't. Right. And then the lead detective, or a detective, I think it was the lead detective in the investigation, in a taped interview. So this is a, on tape. It's and I'm on the record. On the record, I'm going to eventually read you thing, the exact wording he said. Told Hupp that this, would, that this insurance policy would come up at trial. And that she should establish... Uh, as at a, as of this point, she had not established the trust for the girls, mm-hmm. but that she should establish the trust with the money in the girl's name, so it didn't look, so it didn't make Hup look suspicious at the trial. Right. He says, "This is I'm going to give you some quotes." He said in this in this discussion. Well, first, let me just let me just say that that like to be honest with you, like in from the naive perspective of this, like she genuinely was not involved with this and 
she was just ta- you know, the beneficiary of this money so she could and set it up guilt- as a trust. Proof- innocent until proven guilty right, right now. So it's, it, I mean, it's and good. she's not on trial. It's so. good advice from the cop, you know, like, hey, if you want to look less guilty than you already are, just make sure you do this because then it shows that you never intended to hornswoggle this family out of the money that, that they were supposed to get. I don't understand how they didn't, they didn't, they never looked into her. They never considered her yeah. a suspect. So yeah, remember. This we, is very we, confusing. To we me. talked about the, the, uh, the, uh, Scottish girls that got murdered. Yes. Okay. These cops are the exact opposite of those cops. Let's just say that, and anyone who's listened to that you podcast go... knows knows how we felt about those cops yeah. compared to how we feel about these cops. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you can go back and find it in the archives. <laughs> the World's End Murders. That's the ones. So um, this is what he said to her. One of the concerns that I have is the defense raising doubt with you just because you're one of the last people to see Betsy and you get this money given to you. Next, One of the next things he says is, they're going to suggest you had something to do with the planning or the conspiracy to commit that murder because of your financial windfall. And then he says this to her. What you originally told investigators is that she wanted you to do this to try and take care of the kids because she's afraid Russ and the kids will blow through it. And Pam nods her head in agreement. However, you now have this money and have not turned this money over to the family or the kids. She nods in agreement, and he says, that's a huge problem. It helps if that trust is set up for the girls before the trial. So it seems more that he is worried about casting doubt on Russ, Russ's guilt, uh-huh. because Pam may have had a, a motive for this, rather than concern for the daughters of the victim. Yeah. Which is what the bother what bothers me. Yeah, I, I don't agree care how you feel about Russ. You can think Russ killed her. It's not crazy to think Russ killed her. It is a little crazy. The alibi stuff is like totally Pretty, takes him out yeah. of this. But that you have no worry about these girls who not only lost their mother, but now have to deal with a woman who doesn't seem to have any care about them at all. Right. That's frustrating. Oh, yeah. It's frustrating no. to listen to. And it's frustrating to see a, an officer of the law sticking to his guns so hard that he's standing up for a person who is clearly morally not that great. Well, it, it, it goes to the old. It's not that old, but it goes to that. The, the, there's like a saying or something that I've heard before where it's like you make the evidence match the story that you have in your head. And like this guy is definitely make trying to make everything match up, all the evidence line up with his idea that Russ is the guy that 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 killed her, and he doesn't want any any doubt cast anywhere along the way, just so that he can get get his collar. And he refuses to see it. Yeah. He refuses to see any san- any any chance that there may be somebody else, which is called blinders. The cops will say we don't want to put blinders on. I've heard plenty of cops say that. Right. And. It's just very frustrating to watch it. That being said, I don't want to totally degrade this guy. He might be a great cop, but in this case, he kind of had these massive blinders on and saw, and again, I'm sorry that you guys clearly are already figuring out how I feel about this case. Um, I apologize for having a being, for having an opinion on it, but it's really frustrating to watch this and not 
you see a lot of these cases and you you get worried that somebody who's an innocent man is going to go to jail because of some because a cop got it in his head that the husband always does it and that's kind of how this case seems to be is that this is this it just feels it just feels problematic to me it just feels very problematic is all i'm saying so <sighs> so the police weren't stupid they weren't entirely stupid they wanted to give hup a polygraph okay because obviously she's going to come up as a suspect right 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 they attempted to schedule a polygraph for her three days after the murder. Hupp's lawyer asked to p- postpone it until he could be there with her, which, Makes again, sense. this is we recommend this. Yep. Of course you want this. After police were told that Hupp had a past head injury and her, that she was on medications and potentially prone to seizures, this was something that she essentially told them. Gotcha. They asked her if, because she didn't want to take it because she was afraid that i i don't know if you're a cop and you tell me why this matters i i think that's important because i think that it's a valid excuse if you have seizures or you have a heart condition or something i feel like taking a polygraph test is probably not get the 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 um the results are probably going to be not great so maybe it, that's the thing but anyway they asked her for a doctor's note so she requested her doctor write a note saying she couldn't take the, the test, but didn't say why, didn't tell him to say why. Right. She said, all I have to say is I can't do it. So she never had to take a polygraph. But this is, this is what's going to get you, Adrian, because all of this you think would have been brought up at trial. Right. This is what the defense wanted to do. Right. They weren't allowed to. They weren't allowed to because they weren't allowed to ask Hup any questions or present any evidence about anything that she said or did that was beyond what the prosecution brought forth because she had no direct connection to the murder. And this is the thing of it is, is that I reading up on this, there are a few States that have had in the past or currently have a law that says you cannot bring up that someone else did it as a defense. And Missouri at the time was one of these. Wow. It's a very, like they couldn't even cross examine her on any of this stuff they could cross-examine her on like what she, i think what she said like about russ like it could be like right. why do you th- why do you well it sounds like have you anything that anything that the prosecution brought up so anything that she brought that that was brought up in the trial in the trial yeah. to as as evidence against russ they could cross-examine her on but, but they couldn't bring up like weren't you were the last one to be seen with her that kind of thing right so they had no way of saying of like saying hey but you were there that night. Like, you were literally there, like, around, within the time period they say she was murdered. I call shenanigans. So, Russ's attorney, okay, so we're going we're gonna to go back to the actual case that they could present. So, the attorney, of course, had to explain some things that the prosecution had brought up. Yes? Mm-hmm. So, they had, so, Russ's attorney said he told jurors that Russ had said he thought it was a suicide because he did think it was a suicide. Right. Uh, the blindness of panic, seeing a deep gash in her, in her arm, and the knife in her neck, which to me is a little questionable. Like, nobody stabs himself in the neck to kill themselves. I mean, maybe he didn't see it at first. Maybe he but just... But no, like he, like, he said it on the 911 call that she oh, had. Oh, okay. You know, like, um, Schwartz, the attorney, thought that many of her wounds seemed to have been inflicted after her death to make it look 
like a crime of passion. Like that they stabbed her in the neck and then stabbed her a bunch of times to make it look like mm-hmm. there was actually a real stabbing because most of them were post-mortem. Right. Because there was no blood. They addressed the blood on the slippers. They felt like because it wasn't on the sole and there were no bloody footprints throughout the place that... They weren't being worn by the person. They weren't being worn. So somebody may have dipped, them, dipped it in the blood and then... To brought, make it look like it? Yeah. Then no. brought it to the bedroom, turned on the light, and threw them back into the into the closet. The sperm... I already went over the sperm. Russ was wearing the same clothes when the police picked him up. Or when the police got there, as he is wearing all night long in all the videos. Like, there was no blood on him. He barely even touched her. Well, he clearly, you know, thought it through and wore, like, a hazmat suit or, you know, other clothes. He killed her while he was naked and wearing slippers upside down. Adrian, you just wait. Plus, you know, he had a fucking alibi. Oh, yeah, no. Okay? Alibi schmalibi. Oh, alibi schmalibi, prosecutor Askey's middle name. She says, for for some reason, in her closing arguments... She decides that she's going to give a theory about the case. She doesn't bring it up throughout the rest of the trial. Right. Because she'd get objected to for speculation or something. Uh, I don't know why. It's more than that. We're going to talk about it in a second. Her theory, Adrian, you're going to love this. I have a feeling that the way that you said that means that I'm not going to love this. (laughs) That Tuesday night game night. Of course, it was a role-playing game night. Mm-hmm. Oh, was it the satanic panic shit? Not satanic panic, but that they'd all, they were all involved in the murder. Oh, my God. And that they had hatched the plan and conspired to commit the murder for years. Let me finish, okay? She claimed that Russ got gas at one gas station, brought, bought drinks at the second one, drove to his friend's house, left his cell phone there, got these four nice, normal... These people were all up in the stand during the trial, by the way, to talk about his alibi. Got these nice, well nice, upstanding citizens to all lie for him. No. No. Drove home. No. Stripped naked. Jesus fucking Christ. No. Had sex with his wife. She Because she had some of his sperm in her, obviously. Uh, obviously. It was suspicious. Then killed her. Then he showered and redressed and somehow got blood only on his slippers, of course. Then one of the friends drove his cell phone back to the house, but stopped to get Arby's on the way. Didn't they have video? No, they probably didn't. They just had the receipt. She never asked the witnesses about this. But this is all, of course. In closing arguments. In closing arguments. Yeah. This was all, of course. She never asked them. Never gave them a chance to to explain. Never questioned them about this. No one's ever been... He's so mad right now. He's looking down. He's so pissed. This is, on the one hand, it's completely idiotic, and I hate her for it. But on the other side, it's devious and clever as fuck, and I kind of admire her for this. Okay. I mean, if she's looking to get, if she's looking to get a um, a guilty verdict, then. That was a, a stroke of genius to do all of this during closing arguments. Because nobody can stop her. It's closing arguments. She can say whatever the fuck she wants in closing arguments. Well, they objected to it, but sh- and they were able to address it, but... But still, like, like yeah. you do it... Out- the damage is done. That, so far outside of the purview of, like, a normal court proceeding, that you 
like the jury can't unhear it. So they're going to go back there and it's, it's a done deal. And so I, I admire slash hate her right now. Well, more hate than admire. I'm more annoyed. And this is, I was worried because I had thought for a long time that she blamed it on the role playing game. That's where I thought you were going with that. And that's basically what she did. She said that they, because of the role-playing game, you know, but mostly it was that Russ got his friends to help him. Yeah. But, and so they established a game years ahead of time just so that they he had a uh, an alibi for when he finally killed his wife. That's so stupid. It's... But then they also, like, backed him up. Like, he brought the phone there, and then somebody brought it back, and they all gave him an alibi. Well, and on top of that, like, sure, maybe if that was, like, a spur-of-the-moment thing, like, like he was like, hey, guys, fuck my wife, I'm going to go kill her. And for some reason, they went along with it, maybe. But, like, hey, guys, in, like, two or three years, I want to kill my wife. We should start having, like, a weekly game night so that I have an alibi when I eventually do it. And you guys have to back my play. It was like, they were what... I think what what my understanding was that is that they at all because it was a D like it wasn't even D and D it was right. like random other game that his their characters were murderous and enacted this murder on this woman. It wasn't like planned that way. It was like planning like we should murder someone. Oh, we'll murder Russ's wife randomly on this one night. Gotcha. Because Russ will have an alibi. But also somebody brought this up in one of the one, something that I read. I think it's really important to note is that you can't have it both ways. You can't have it be a spur of the moment, passionate murder where somebody stabs someone 55 times suddenly and then also have it be planned out and highly highly organized. Yeah. You have to, it's either one or the other. So you can't have both. And so either way, this is a ridiculous situation because they presented it as a crime of passion. And then at the end her closing argument, she presented it as a, conspiracy and also but the worst thing about that is is she literally accused four innocent people of conspiring to kill a nice lady because it fit her idea of how the crime went down just to get the jury to hear it none of these people have ever been charged this is what this is the thing that pissed me off the most is i was like how the fuck dare you accuse those people they're all normal people they have normal jobs or normal nice people they have they have movie and game night on tuesday nights you are these aren't fucking creepy gross people they're nice fucking people you cannot tell me well even if they're creepy gross people they're innocent people exactly they're innocent fucking people who all they did was say our friend was at our house when this shit happened, the, he couldn't have done it. The thing that pisses me off the most about that situation is that, sure, they didn't get charged, but that's out there in the world now. And so everybody's looking at these guys as, as you know, co-conspirators to a murder. Yeah, what, this is a national fucking case. Whether too. they got charged or not, everybody's looking at them like that. Exactly. It's bullshit. Yeah. You can't do that tonight. You can't do that to innocent people. You can't bring that to innocent people. It's, it's fine. Is it? It's not fine, but it is fine because nobody was overcharged and everything's. I mean, I'm. They've gone on TV and talked to the talked to people and said, "Fuck you, we didn't do this." So whatever. So or so it is fine in the sense that they are flabbergasted at these right. accusations. It's not, it's not like the the West Memphis Five or three. whatever the West Memphis Three, where they basically were had their lives ruined, their entire lives. Well, ruined they were in jail for. 25 years yeah that's what i'm saying they had their their shit 
fucked up for for most of their lives just because of one dumb thing that happened. Well, that they and di- didn't really have anything well, to do with. Well, we'll. That's a very confusing and very difficult case to talk about, and I don't think we should compare it to this one because it's nothing like it. So, no, but uh, well, I, I'm just saying, in so far as you know, their lives didn't get completely overturned, I mean, I guess and it, fucked over like, for falsely accused twenty us, years. Yeah. You well, know. you know whose life did get fucked over. Russ's Russ Faria's because he was it took them four hours to uh, convict him on November 21st 2013 so he was sentenced to life plus 30 years and was serving his time at the Jefferson City Correctional Center that sounds not good I mean no jail is good babe well no but I mean like you're at a city jail serving out life plus 30 gross i think it oh that's a good point i didn't think about the the name of the of the correctional center i don't think it was a city jail i think it's just what they called it well you said it was the jefferson city correctional center yeah that that sounds like a local jail to me i don't i mean it's local jail near st louis though so it's like probably worse than what i'm (laughs) imagining i don't know oh let's not talk about oh So after the trial, Hup, who had set up the trust after the police had told her to, emptied the trust completely. Shocker. Um, and changed her story, saying that, and saying she said initially that Betsy had signed the insurance so that the girls could have the money. Mm-hmm. And also that okay, so this is what she, okay, so Hup said initially. That a hundred thousand was supposed to go to Hup's girls, and then fifty thousand was supposed to go to their friend who also had cancer. But she changed her story, saying that Hup said all of it should go, or that Betsy said all of it should go to Hup. Of course it should. Of course she did, because legally she doesn't have to do anything, right? But right. Of course Betsy's. And, and now that you know Russ has been convicted, she's scot free. Yeah. So she's got all this money, right? Yeah. But and then in, so in twenty fourteen. Betsy's daughters, who are pissed that they, the understanding was that as well they should have been. This money was supposed to go to them. Filed a lawsuit against Hup, and claiming she defrauded them out of this insurance. Um, unfortunately, the judge in the case, because legally it was it was a legal transference. Right. The judge found that he could not force her to give the girls the money. Because it, there was no there was no legal contract no. stating otherwise. No. Yeah. Which is why if you're going to do this, you should do it with a lawyer and not your BFF. Exactly. So. God but damn. in addition to the fact that they wouldn't get the money, the judge said the girls had to pay Hup's legal fees. Wow. Wow. Isn't that fucked up? That's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. I mean. Insult to injury. You're basically saying, hey. Hey guys, you know that that uh, that that whole situation where your mom died and this lady probably killed her, or and, at least benefited then, off of it, and then said that she was going to give you all the money until until your dad or your stepdad got uh, proven to be guilty for for the crime, and then she took all the money back. Yeah, you can't have it because there's no uh, there's no legal uh, legally binding. Uh, paperwork that says that she was that she was supposed to do that, and you know how so, you don't have any money. Yeah, now you have to pay her more money. So yeah, even though you don't have any money, bye. But she's got a bunch of money that she could definitely afford this. But yeah. you, and you don't have any money. So yeah. yeah. So the St. Louis Post Dispatch, who was my favorite 
group of people in this entire thing. They they followed this case like crazy. Them and a guy named then a, a reporter named Chris Hayes, okay. who is a local reporter in St. Louis, and not the Chris Hayes that I feel like is the guy who does the the sex guy, the the pedophile guys. Is that Chris Hayes? No, that's. I know who you're talking about. Anyway, so he, he's a reporter who works in a local at a local uh, St. Louis. Um, uh, I don't know if it's NBC affiliate, but he's he's a good dude, and he's followed this case from the beginning. He's actually the only reporter at the first trial, and he's he ends up being involved in this a little bit later on. Um, so they didn't. The St. Louis Post Dispatch did an expose on the case, um, bringing light to the insurance stuff as well as Hupp's inconsistent statements to the police. Because, as you remember, the jury didn't hear this at the at the trial. Right, right. So they brought this to light. They brought all these things to light. And, nice. of course, they spoke to the, some of the jury members who said that it may, not have cha- it may not have changed their mind. They definitely thought that Russ Faria was, might have been guilty, but they they certainly would have liked to have heard this other evidence. Right. At just so that they would know yeah. that there may have been a potential other suspect. Um, additionally, the newspaper spoke with the 911 operator who took Russ's call. Okay. A woman named Tammy Vaughn, who said that she felt his emotions were genuine. And according to Vaughn, and I actually should have contacted a friend of mine who's a dispatcher to ask her about this, but there is a phenomenon called a re-freak. That's R-E-freak. Okay. This happens. Probably is exactly what it sounds like. It sounds exactly, it is exactly what it sounds like. This happens when a 911, because what 911 operators are are trained to do. Is calm you down. Is to to distract you. Yeah. So they ask you lots of questions and that's designed to take you out of the scene so that you can calm down and tell them what's going on. But what happens is your your attention is directed at them and then when the question is done, your attention is then redirected at the incident that's occurring. So if particularly in this incident, there's a murdered person. He started to re freak. Yeah. So you call 911, you freak out. 911 operators like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And then suddenly you're like, Oh shit, dead body. Yeah. WTF. So this inconsistency that he was showing on the, on the 911 tape is that he was, Calmly answering questions and then suddenly freaking out again. Calmly answering questions and then suddenly freaking out again. And it was because he couldn't believe that his wife was fucking dead. And he was trying to answer questions and he couldn't believe his wife was dead. I'm I'm surprised they don't have more 911 operators uh, be expert witnesses in, the... in, in uh, um, those things that happen in courtrooms. I guarantee you trials. that 911 operators understand human nature better than anyone else on the planet. Oh, I'm sure. I... I 911 operators out there, we love you. Good for you. You you deal with stressful situations all the time, and you do it in calm, loving ways. Sometimes you sound a little, little bit harsh, actually, but you're doing your job the way you're supposed to be do- doing it. And thank you for that because you're keeping us calm. And thank you for being honest, especially in the case of Tammy Vaughn. So also around this time, this is a, oh, I'm sorry. Of everything in this case that isn't important, this is the, mo- the least important. Most of the, everything in this case is so important and then they bring this in and it just drives me crazy that this is even a part of it and I'm sorry that I'm bringing it up, but I feel like it was on the petition to retry, so I'm going to bring it up, okay? Okay. There was a rumor 
that Prosecutor Askey was in a relationship with one of the lead investigators on the case. Both of them denied the accusation, and I have no clue how that would affect the trial. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't see Maybe it. Maybe that they were both biased? That's the only thing I could think. Yeah, but at the same time, like, you just kind of assume that the prosecution is going to be biased the way that the cops are biased because they have to work together. I don't understand why that would be a thing. I mean, I, except for to, like, I don't know. I guess it's on the petition to retry because it's in a, it was an inappropriate relationship or, like, a non I don't it, there's nothing stating that they one of them was married and that the other one was it was an affair. It could have just been in a relationship that wasn't um reported uh-huh. or something, but I personally don't give a shit about this about this aspect of it. I feel like I feel like what probably what it probably was was the petition basically just they just threw every everything in the kitchen sink into the into the petition just to be like and another thing and another thing and another th- look at all of this stuff that we have in our petition but and the, you should totally this retry was, the this. two main things about it were this fa- this rumor and that the pam hub stuff was was essentially kept out of the trial right but I, all i'm saying is that that just because you have quality reasons for the uh for for the petition doesn't necessarily mean that you can't throw in quantity reasons also it was sexy I'm sure that a lot of reporters were reporting about it because it was a sexy Oh, yeah. Thing. So it like, probably nobody... gets more attention because it was so sexy. Yep. Because, by the way, they're attractive people, both of them. Well, yeah. But my, my, point, my point being is if somebody hands you a sheet of paper and says, you should, re- you should do a thing because of this and it's two reasons, you're like, man, well, I'll think about it. But if somebody hands you a, list, a, a sheet of paper and says, you should do a thing because of this... And it's a list of like 500 reasons. You're yeah. going to be like, holy crap. Granted, the first two reasons are the same, regardless of the length of the list. You're, there's more gravitas to the to the list with 500 things on it versus the list with two things. Well, this, uh, like I said, along with the keeping Pam Hup, the Pam Hup information out of the trial was listed. Mm-hmm. And the circuit court judge, Stephen Omer... O-H-M-E-R, I hope I'm, Omer, right, sounds about right. Sure. Granted the motion for a new trial based on the suppression of evidence uh, relating to Hupp, but he also said he didn't give a shit about this relation, this supposed relationship. Right. Because who cares? Exactly. Who cares? I, this case, there's a lot of fucked up things about this case. That is, who gives a shit? It, to, to be honest with you, it, it, it really does. It sounds a lot like the whole, um gratuitous sex scene in team america situation you know what i'm talking about yeah i know okay. you're talking everyone knows what you're talking about yeah so so for those of you who don't know what i'm talking about there's um, a gratuitous sex scene in there there was a, there was a gratuitous uh puppet sex scene in in team america that uh, uh trey parker and matt stone put into it um and the original scene was about twice as long and was a lot more raunchy. Oh. Um, and specifically the reason that they put that in there was because they knew that, that they were going to get an NC-17 rating from, from the, uh, the uh, whoever gives out the ratings for movies. And they did it specifically so that they, they would get the NC-17 rating and then they could be like, well, how about if we cut you know this bit and that bit, bit out of this uh this terrible sex scene 
can we get an R rating then? And the, the Academy or whoever said, yeah, absolutely. If you do that, then you can have your R rating. Knowing full well that if they had done what they had originally wanted, which is basically what the the movie is, they would have gotten an NC-17 rating. So they just made it worse so they would get still get the NC-17 rating that. and then negotiate Sometimes it Sometimes things make it in that people that they didn't oh, intend yeah. to make in. Like really weird shit makes it in that they intend to make in. But well, this isn't a movie podcast, so we'll right. talk about that. At a but, you know, that my point being is that that kind of seems like what this is. is. Like they were like, let's just throw a bunch of crap in there and then they can get mad about this the inconsequential stuff. But we don't care as long as it goes back to trial. To be honest, I feel like he he did he made the decision based on that, and then the then the the reporters are the ones who asked him about it, and the reporters are the ones who focused on this. I don't. I, I think you're right. I think that the that Russell's lawyers, who by the way are the same lawyers he had in in the first trial, just said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put in this thing because it's become an issue. But mostly it's become an issue because of the reporters and stuff. Right. And the the judge went, I don't give a shit about that. I care about the actual content of this. Right. Which you've which we've said now like five different ways. Yeah. And so we could probably just stop saying it. Anyway, so he he granted Russell a new trial, which is and that is the important. And part. that's what's important. Um, and he was released on bond in June of 2015, and his retrial began on November of that year. So. This time, instead of doing a jury trial, he elected to have it heard by a judge. Okay. Um, so, a couple things I didn't I didn't mention this really, but at the oh yeah I did because we're talking we talked about the cameras we talked right. about the camera yeah. So, at the first trial, a detective testified that the home appeared to have been cleaned of blood, but then said that the there were no photographs of the crime scene because there had been a malfunction. We talked about that. Right. You were quite annoyed by this. Yes. From a technology standpoint. Before the retrial, however, the defense discovered more than 100 photographs of the crime scene that were perfectly fine and taken by police that had not been disclosed to the defense. Those photographs showed no evidence. Boo! <laughs> exactly. Those photographs showed no evidence that the home had been cleaned of blood. So that's one. But then a police corporal... The one who had apparently cleared the scene, gone through, uh, made sure there wasn't any assailants there, suddenly remembered. I, I don't want to say suddenly, but I'm going to say suddenly. Suddenly remembered that he'd seen droplets in the tub, droplets of water in the tub going to the. And this is like five years, this is, four years, 2015. So four, four years, years after the crime, after the crime occurred, he suddenly remembers that there were definitely droplets of blood in the tub. So that proves that. Russell took a shower, but not, you know, that any other assailant couldn't have run, taken a shower, by the way. No, you know, Russell had to have been the only one who could have done it. Or that, you know, they had a leaky shower. Or they had a leaky shower or (laughs) thank you, Adrian. So, but this time around, I'm sorry for any weird noises you hear during this podcast. It's my eyes rolling so far back in in my head that the muscles in my, in my skull are groaning. (laughs) This time around, however, the defense was allowed to discuss Hupp's contradictions, her possible motive, which was the insurance, and possible involvement in the murder. Uh, Though through plenty of on-tape contradictory contradictory statements, okay? Mm -hmm. In one of those, again, this is where the detectives in this case drive me crazy. The detective interviewing her 
offers her a possible scenario in which she may have seen Russell on the night of the murder. But oh, at, God. But she says, no, 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 I didn't see him. He's so mad right now. Adrian is. But she says she did not see him. A few months later, she says she did see him. This is like the um, the way they treat her is like almost completely the antithesis of what you hear about terrible uh, police in interrogations of people that they think are guilty. Like they lead the person into basically admitting guilt, even though they're not guilty kind of thing, mm-hmm. except for with her, they're like leading her into like making sure that she's not the one that they're looking at. And also that furthering their thought that, that Russell was the, the, guilty party it's more than that they kiss her ass they tell her on on tape they're they they're like oh you know you're so strong you're such a good friend you're just a good lady it's because she's their star witness it's but it's so odd like they it's like i don't even understand like is she giving the fucking police like a shit ton of money or something like it's one of those things where it's like if if you had a million dollars and all you did was like throw money at the police this is how they treat you. They would fucking... But she wasn't doing that. They just really fucking thought she was not... They thought Russ was guilty, I think. And they... I don't think that they thought she wasn't... I don't think they thought she wasn't guilty. They just thought Russ was guilty. Right. So they were like, oh, well, she didn't do it. So why shouldn't we treat her well? But they treat her like she's a fucking goddess. And I'm just like, this woman is suspicious as fuck. I don't... Like, even even if you like her... There's a lot of fucking like strange coincidences. Like, stop kissing her ass. But they like, you're so nice. You're so strong. And this is this goes into it because fucking Hup, who is fucking Hup, now claims that she's been she was in an intimate relationship with Betsy, saying she'd replaced what a husband could be. I'm leaving (laughs) the planet. I'm going to go live on a space station by myself forever. So she said that that Russ knew about it and then enraged him. And that... No. Just no. Unacceptable. This is so bad. Why... If that was really the, the case, why wouldn't it have come up in the first trial? Because she's a super conservative... Because Hupp is super conservative and didn't want to admit to it. So she said that Russ had caught them in bed and, like, threatened them. Said she'd cut Pam up and bury her in the backyard. Then why didn't he cut her up and put her in the backyard if he was the one that murdered her? I know. Well, he said that to Hup. He didn't say that to Betsy. The point still stands. (laughs) So that's just one thing. So I didn't tell you about this, but earlier in the... In the first trial. You were withholding evidence? I was withholding evidence. So How dare you? I didn't tell you about this because it didn't they didn't find the letter until later. So Betsy or I'm sorry. I keep doing this and I apologize. Hup told investigators that Betsy had written her a l- email slash document. She kept saying email, but she meant document. That said that Betsy was fearful of Russ and that and gave all the reasons why she was switching the insurance over. Okay. Hup told them this before the first trial. 
but they did not find the letter until right before the second trial. Conveniently. Um, no, actually, it was there before Betsy was killed. Sure, it was. No, it was. It was actually was sure time stamp. It was, was time stamped before. Oh, because you can't change time stamps. I'm ta- we're talking to a computer man right now, but this is <laughs> okay. So, the letter. Okay. The letter states that Betsy is fearful of Russ and gives her reasons for switching to the, the entrance to Hub. However, the letter was the only document on Betsy's computer with an unknown author, quote unquote unknown author, and it was found to have originated on another computer with a program, which was like 97, Windows 97 or something like that. When, when, okay. Like Office 97? Sure, yeah. Was there an Office 97? Yes, there was okay. an Office 97. But Betsy didn't have that installed on her computer. Her Betsy's laptop. Also, hold on. Wait. The murder happened in 2011. Yeah. Who the fuck is still using Office 97 in 2011? 50-year-old women. Also, who believes a typed Word document as being... You need to let me finish. Like a thing. You need to let me finish. No. I want to (laughs) finish. Go ahead. Because I'm going to tell you that... The letter was the only document on Betsy's computer with unknow- with an unknown author, and it was found to have originated on another computer, uh-huh. and also written on a document in a thing that was not on her computer. In addition to that, Betsy's laptop had been connected to a Wi-Fi network called the Club the day that on a day that Pam had watched Betsy play tennis. The Microsoft Outlook email application had been opened at the same time, but Betsy didn't use Outlook. And then the document couldn't be emailed, obviously, because there wasn't Outlook. And then cookies on Betsy's computer showed that someone had looked up her signature on the laptop. So basically, the document wasn't considered legitimate. I would... If I if I were if I worked for law enforcement at all and somebody came to me and said, Hey, here's a word document that we found that's a confession of blah 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 blah, blah by the dead person, I'd be like, I don't believe you. Also, by the way, everything that was in the in the letter or the, the document mm-hmm. was all the things that Hupp had said to police, but it was said the way Hupp said it. It wasn't people who read the document said that wasn't the way Betsy would have done things. People right. said Betsy would have. Well, first of all, Betsy's best friend said, why would she have written a letter to some random woman who she only occasionally spent time with? Mm-hmm. She would have told me. Yeah. She would have said to me she was afraid of Russ. She would have said to me, you know, I don't trust Russ for this money. I'm very confused about. I'm still. This is why I wish Betsy. I wish we could had Betsy. To tell us why this insurance policy was transferred. Because I th- it feels very much like she did it as like a favor to Pam. More than it was like a real thing she wanted done. Right. So anyway. In addition to the other things that didn't make sense. In addition to the fact that... You mean the lo- everything? Yes. In addition to everything. In addition to everything. Crime scene investigator Amy Butner testified that contrary to ASCII, the uh, prosecutor, prosecutor, assertion in the first trial that Russ's tan slippers had stepped in blood, that Russ's slippers did not look like they'd, been, they'd stepped in blood. It was clear. Like, yeah. the slippers don't look like... They're literally... It's like somebody, like, threw blood on top of them. 
um, they looked more like they've been dipped or thr- or blooded. Whatever. Something. doesn't matter. Not she walked also, in. She also said she'd found no sign of cleanup at the scene. The floor. Okay. I don't want to talk nasty about Russ and Betsy because they're, they seem like nice people. But she was sick and they were busy. The house wasn't clean. And the, this is what this is what Amy Butner said. The house, the floor was dirty. She testified, and she testified that the bloody light switch was wiped with a bloody cloth, like somebody dabbed it in blood and wiped blood on there. So this is all—it's a setup. Yeah, it's a fucking setup. Yep. Which is something that should have come up in the first trial. I don't know why they didn't talk to Amy Butner in the first trial because they were they because they were they so hell bent on anybody Ru- they yeah, suppressed they, anybody who's had any other they were ideas. so hell bent on on Russ being the guy that they didn't want anything to cast any shadow of a doubt onto him being the the guy. Well, that's the thing is that uh, people said that or some of the people in the investigator's office said that they were shocked shocked they weren't looking into Pam. They were shocked that they were looking at Russ so hard because. It seemed more likely that that Pam could be a suspect, but they had just totally decided that Russ had done it, which is so silly because, as we've seen, there's no direct evidence linking Russ to this case. Nothing says Russ did it Mm -hmm. at all. Now, I do want to note something. A lot of times, oftentimes, in a stabbing case, the person who did the stabbing has cuts on their hands. Right. Because the knife will slip out of the hand and because it's so bloody and nick or cut deeply the person who's doing the stabbing. Neither Russ nor Pam had any of these sorts of wounds on their hands. So it's likely that that may be one of the reasons they ruled Pam out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why it wouldn't have ruled Russ out. Right. Like it's a very weird thing. But I digress. At the end of the retrial, on November 6th of 2015, Judge Omer acquitted Russ Faria of all charges. The judge called the initial investigating the judge called the initial investigation into the case rather disturbing, quote unquote. Nice. Despite that, Askey, the fucking prosecutor, still maintained and still maintains that Russ is guilty and has no intention of further investigating the crime or charging anyone else. <sighs> In July 2016, Russ filed a federal right, civil rights lawsuit against Lincoln County, Missouri. As obviously, well he should. On the basis they had fabricated evidence, ignored exonerating evidence, and failed to investigate the other obvious suspect. Uh, the trial is set to begin on April 29th of 2019. And in addition to that, in January 2017, because remember, he filed it in 2016, uh, the judge in the case, the initial judge who mm-hmm. wouldn't allow any of the evidence, which is kind of suspect to me because I, I don't think he intended, to, I think he just thought, he was he was going by the law at the time. Yeah, I, I was going to say it sounds like he was just kind of abiding by by the the state laws at the time. He, but he was suspended by the Supreme Court of Missouri. Okay. I don't know if it has. I don't know if it had to do with this case or other. Maybe he'd been shown to be no not cool in other cases as right. well. Um, in August of 2018, both Menenmeyer and Leah Cheney, formerly Leah Askey, um, were voted out of office. 
good. And many people cited the handling of this case as the reason they voted them out. Good. Um, As of November 2018, Russ works mixing sound. I mean, I assume that's what that means. He's a DJ for local St. Louis bands. Oh, no, he's mixed, just Mexican sound. So he's that's a, he's an audio engineer. He's an audio guy. He's the guy who, who flips the dials when a band is playing. Nice, nice, nice. And he also works, um, I don't know if he like like does upgrades to motorcycles and stuff or just like like takes, like takes changes their oil, but works in all, lube, all lubed up cycles, which I assume is a cycle, motorcycle sort of mechanic shop. Mechanic shop. Um, he and Betsy's mother... Janet, who clearly doesn't believe that Russ did it anymore, Obviously. would like to see a resolution in Betsy's case um, and are quite frustrated that Lincoln County is not currently investigating it. That being said, the federal authorities are looking into this case. Awesome. Um, and the it's, it's an ongoing case. And they are looking into all suspects. Now, that should be the end of our podcast. But it's not the end of our podcast because this case has been a head scratcher to say the least. I don't think it's been that much of a head scratcher from the beginning. I mean, it's been a head scratcher insofar as why the fuck have the cops and the prosecutor in this county been so inept at their fucking jobs? Yes, that's what I mean. Uh, Dateline took an interest. Is Dateline the guy, the one with the the creepy guy? Oh, the best thing about this is Keith Morrison, who is who you're talking about, yeah. is the guy who does all the datelines on this one. Uh-huh. And he, his, because Keith Morrison has that signature, like, sarcastic he's serious, but he also sounds like he's more entertained by it than he should sound. Yeah. This case has been amazing because it's so fucked up that, like, everything he says is, like, he's, like... What the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's brilliant. I, I also it's great. And um, I bet you can find them on YouTube. Look up um, the house on Sumac Lane, uh, game night, and return to game night. And I think there's one more. There's f- literally four datelines on this case. Wow. There's four fucking datelines on this case. Nice. And um, all with Keith Morrison. All with Keith Morrison nice. because he loves this case. He's tied up in this case so hard that. And to be honest, he should be, and we will get into it as to why. So because Dateline has had an interest, taking it from even before the the first trial began to Russ's acquittal and other things that have happened afterwards, there has been quite a bit of attention that's come to it. And that is, there have been a lot of consequences for that. So first, the, the best and most reasonable consequence is that people recognize that there was a there was a problem with the investigation. No shit. Um, a lot of people reacted the way I reacted the first time I saw that. And I said, Jesus Christ, that guy, he's not guilty. He, or at the very least, the trial wasn't fair. Um, so that was the good thing. So there was a, a shit ton of ru- free Russ Feria. So he had a bunch of funding and people on his side and things like that, which is, gr- I'm saying Feria again. It's Feria. I have, sorry, I've been mispronouncing it forever and then doing this podcast forced me to say it correctly and then I just forgot how to say it. So sorry about that. But um, unfortunately, because Pam Hupp was clearly the other suspect, she received a lot of hate, which 
may or may not be um, valid. I, I, of course, she hasn't been brought to trial over this. Right. So I don't want to say that she did it. But she clearly is the other suspect. Um, she had actually had a woman who threatened to ki- called, like harassed her several times and threatened violence towards Pam. See, as much as I've been talking shit about her this whole time, that's not cool. No, like, absolutely not. That's uh, To me, that's unacceptable behavior. Like, you don't... She hasn't, she hasn't been tried yet. Like, sure, she's the other suspect, but don't do that. That's... Yeah, don't attack people. It just hurts the case against them. Yeah. If you think someone is guilty, don't do things to them. Try to get them... Donate to the fund to help the other guy yeah. so that he's not... So that he's proven to be now... not guilty so they can actually focus their efforts on finding the person that actually did it. Exactly. But... And Hup, in fairness, though, has brought a lot of it on herself because she's crazy, nutto, lies to the police, tells a hundred different stories, is generally a dishonest person, and clearly morally questionable based on what happened to the girls. Right. Because those poor, Mariah and Leah, these two daughters who deserve to be hugged and kissed and told that we're sorry your mother died Mm -hmm. and not in the way that like they should have been hugged and kissed and loved and told, I'm sorry your mother died of cancer Mm -hmm. in a slow, not a slow, of course we didn't, we wouldn't have wanted Betsy to die slowly and miserably, but we would have liked for her to have had three to five years with her daughters to not, I'm sorry your mom got stabbed in the neck so hard that she died. Yeah, exactly. So now let's talk a little bit about the, the case against, Pam, before we go move on to the other stuff against Pam, because there's other stuff against Pam. Oh Pam is a fun. I, we sh- to be honest, we could do a whole podcast on Pam, but we're not gonna. Anyway, so beyond the clear motive, means, and opportunity that she had, so insurance. There, she was in someone's house, so she had a night. She had access to any knives that were there. Right. And opportunity, she was there. Um, there are some other evidence suggesting that. Pam Hupp had something to do with Beth, with Betsy's death. So according to witness statements, Hupp had the chemotherapy appointment we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. where she where she came and she was going to drive her home. They weren't expecting her there. So Betsy had was clearly going to hang out with Bobby. Bobby was going to drive her back to her mother's house. Right. And then apparently Pam showed up to that chemo appointment and insisted that she take care of Betsy. Oh, you look tired. You should go home and go to bed. You shouldn't hang out with your mom. I'll take you home. And this is, this is something that is of course, um, questionable because she had actually told her earlier in the day that she had a ride. And then Pam showed up anyway, saying she never received the text or the call or whatever. Um, so that in itself is very suspicious that she basically was like, well, I'm taking you home tonight. I'll be responsible for you tonight. Now, because Hupp was never a suspect in the initial investigation, we don't know if she was, if her clothes were examined. Examined. We don't know if she was even wearing the same clothes when she was interviewed as she was when she dropped her off. You know, that sort of thing. And any potential evidence, any potential, potential ability to collect that evidence is gone now. Because by the time she was even considered a suspect or considered a suspect by the federal investigators. It had been years. It's years later. Yeah. So 
Good luck with that. Um, police, like I said before, police looked at her hands. She had no cuts. Um, now, in January of last year, 2018, attorneys a- acting for Russ did deposition Hupp as to um, part of his lawsuit against Lincoln County, um, asking her about ni- 92 questions relating to the murder of Betsy, but Hupp refused to answer those questions. There was like... the. I think there's something else going in in the courts. Courts work so slow. But right now there's something in the courts kind of requesting she answer them anyway, that kind of trying to force her to answer them. Right. We won't know any more. We won't know more about that until she does. Until there's another court mandated what, whatever. Mm-hmm. Court system is slow. I don't know anything about it except for that it's slow. So now she had been questioned many times or talked to the police many times regarding Betsy's murder during which she had claimed that why would she kill Betsy when she could easily, when she, why would she kill Betsy who could easily overpower her when she could choose a weaker victim that would get her more money? Like this, I've seen the tapes. She literally said these things like, why would I kill someone who could, who could overpower me when I could kill someone who is weaker than me? Like my mother. Who is worth $500,000 when she dies. So a year and a half after that interview where she said this, Hupp's mother fell to her death (laughs) from her third story apartment. I'm sorry. That's not, that shouldn't shouldn't be as funny as I'm. You're just shocked. You didn't expect that. You didn't expect me to say that. Yeah. Um, her mother fell from her third story apartment at this, at Lakeview Park Independent Senior Living Community in Fenton, Missouri. And, of course, died because it was three stories up. Right. The circumstances of her mother's death are, of course, questionable. Um, Hupp was the last person to see her. They had gone to Her mother had gone to the hospital earlier in the day, and Hupp brought her back. I'm and seeing Hupp, a pattern here. And Hupp said to the, to the staff at the facility that her mother would not be down for dinner or breakfast, but she'd probably have lunch. Well, it was that a- the afternoon the next day that the cleaner came in and found that the apartment was a little bit destroyed and that um and then she saw that the the like they had a pat her mom had a patio mm-hmm. and the patio was um damaged like there were bars on the patio that were damaged and then she saw that the woman that her mother's body pam hub's body pam hub's mother's body was um had fallen three stories gotcha um now that being said her mother had alzheimer's and according to pam hub's brother and this woman who, this cleaner, her mother was quite um, shaky on her feet. She didn't quite handle herself very well. She also was all, she also had Alzheimer's. So, and she was also maybe a very unhappy woman because of that. Sure. She had um, eight times the prescription she had for, of Ambien in her system. So it's possible she just wanted to kill herself. It's also possible that because she had Alzheimer's, she kind of, you she know. took a bunch of pills. Yeah. Forgot. Like, yeah. oh, I need to take my pills. Take your pills. Oh, I need to take my pills. Take your pills. I don't know exactly how Alzheimer's works, but it feels like that's a thing that it's, you could it's do. It's certainly not a situation where Hup is the obvious suspect. Right. But because of her being a suspect in her, in Russ, or in Betsy Faria's case and the next case, um, oh, geez. She is, of course, people look at any suspicious death in her life mm-hmm. and question it. Now, again, please don't attack 
anyone who's been accused of a crime. We're not saying that Pam Hub did this. We're saying it's suspicious that she was involved in things. So, and we're very glad that Russ Ferrio is not in jail anymore. Right. But anyway. I mean, that's the key thing. Exactly. The police did rule Hupp's mother's death uh, an accident. It has... Still in Lincoln County, Missouri? I'm not entirely sure. Because if it is, then I don't trust them. I'm not entirely sure. Just saying. Well, it was in... um, I'm sorry. It was in Fenton, Missouri, so I don't know if that's Lincoln County, but... um, Well, Lincoln County is also St. Louis, so it's a big... That's a big county. Still. You can't go, we can't, we don't trust the St. Louis medical examiner or the medic or the county. We can't do that. Why not? Well, that's not, we're not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> so, Fine. however. Steal my joy. That being said, after this case, after the case I'm about to tell you about, they have started to re-examine her mother's case. So. And again, I'm not saying that, that she totally killed her mom. I'm just saying like. With all, as much of a shit show as everything that has been completely ancillary to this case has been, like, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, oh, you know, I totally take their their word at face value. Well, in 2016. Oh, my God, there's more. Hup was charged with a murder. Finally. She was finally charged with a murder. <laughs> And this murder was of a man named Louis Gumpenberger. Oof, that's an unfortunate name. Oh, I had a hard time typing this name. I kept saying, I don't want to tell you guys. It was terrible. This poor man, I feel terrible for him. He was a mentally and physically impaired man who was healthy up until um, about two, 2005 or 2006. He was healthy right up until he met Pam no, Hupp. No, it wasn't that. He was healthy. He had, he was in a car accident. And okay. He was a relatively well, well, um, well-rounded young man, and then he was in a car accident, and it messed up his head and it messed up his body. And then in 2016, this is this this is when the incident occurred. So, she shot him when he supposedly attacked her outside of her home. Okay. She claimed that on August 16th, 2016, the 33-year-old Gumpenberger jumped from a car that someone else was driving, armed with a knife, and came at her in her driveway as she sat in her SUV. She called the police during the attack, saying he demanded she drive him to the bank to retrieve, quote-unquote, Russ money. She then turned, she then ran into her house and and ran ran to her bedroom and grabbed her Ruger LCR from her nightstand and shot him when he followed her in. All of this was caught in the 911 call. Police came and in his pocket found $900 and a note with the words, kidnap Hup, get, Russ mon- get Russ's money from Hup at her bank and kill Hup. And the note also said, quote, take Hup back to house and get rid of her. Make it look like Russ's wife. Make sure knife sticking out of neck. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. After a short investigation, police found that Hupp had actually lured Gumpenberger to her house by presenting herself as a Dateline producer from Chicago. Wow. According to Dateline, Hupp had been contacted by a by a producer named Kate who worked out of Chicago. So she was 
kind of parroting this. Gotcha. And that she wanted his help reenacting a 911 call. Hupp said this to this man. They believe they got that when they got to her house, when Hupp and Gumpenberger got to her house, she shot him in order to frame Ross Faria in a, on an attempt on her life. Right. In order to like essentially payback. say that Russ was the one who killed his wife and now he was... Right. Or, or payback, either way. they The police believe that when she and... Oh, no, sorry. Cell phone records showed that she was in the vicinity of Gumpenberger's house that day. Now, again, cell phone records. Right. Not reliable. Not reliable, but we're talking like her p- pinging around that that area. Was in the vicinity of his house that day within 45 minutes of the shooting. So she was in his vicinity kind of and picked him up, what have you. In addition to that, to the cell phone records, the serial numbers of the, of the nine $100 bills in his pocket matched up sequentially to some found on her dresser. On Hump's dresser. Hump, hump, hump's dresser. (laughs) So that was just part of it. And then police found out that six days before this, so on August 10th of 2016, a woman filed a police report stating that a a woman matching Hump's description had approached her and offered her $1,000 to reenact a 911 call for Dateline, giving her the same spiel. She's a producer from Chicago. Hupp's car was caught on video as the car the woman described. Mm-hmm. But the woman who was in, who actually went with her backed out of the deal when Hupp could not produce credentials. So this is a smart lady. She goes, right. hey, do you have your, your Dateline ID? She goes, oh, I don't have it with me, blah, blah, blah. Additionally, another man had been approached by Hupp for the same reason. Police surmised that Hupp was looking for anyone dumb enough, essentially, to go along to with go it. to her home so that she could frame them for yep for this situation. Color on top me of completely that, completely not surprised. On top of that, the note that was found in his pocket in uh, Gumpenberger's pocket said, "Leave on Russ's woodpile. Leave money on Russ's woodpile." Now Russ didn't have a woodpile. But his father had like a stack of wood at his house or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the fam, when Russ heard, when they asked Russ about this wood, because they, of course, brought Russ in. Right. Because they wanted to know. And Russ was asked about it. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And they, he had thought, and he's like, well, my dad has a wood pile. But his dad also has cameras. Right. Facing the road. So they looked at the cameras and they found Hup, Hup driving, driving past. past. Jesus Christ. So... <laughs> She was arrested on August 23rd of 2016. Um, During booking, she asked to use the bathroom, which is her right, of course, where she stabbed herself in the neck and wrists with a ballpoint pen in an apparent attempted suicide. After receiving medical treatment, she was interviewed by police, bizarrely blaming the shooting on the the, uh, reporter Chris Hayes, who I mentioned previously, Uh um, who had been involved in the case since the first trial she said is this going to be filmed because i always appear on the news with chris hayes and i blame chris hayes and basically for the shooting wow yeah her bail of course was posted and it was at two million dollars she remains in jail um on december 16th 2016 a grand jury indicted her for first degree murder 
an armed criminal action. Uh, she appeared in court on January 31st of 2017, pleading not guilty to the charges. Somehow, for some reason, she thinks that she's going to get away with this. Right. Um, in March 2017, prosecutors stated they would seek the death penalty due to the fact that she basically just chose a random dude off the street and went, that one. Yeah. You want to come that's, with me? That's fucked up. Uh, and in August 28th, her trial date for the crime was set for June of 2019. Wow. So it's all just kind of culminating this year. All culminating this year. We do not have any more than that. She is going to go on trial for someone's murder. It's not Betsy's, but we do have a federal, the federal authorities are looking into the Betsy case, to the Betsy Faria case. And I'm hoping very much that at the very least they, they make her a prime suspect Mm -hmm. because this is a messed up case. Oh Yeah. I'm really glad that he got out. Me too. Because that's, that's kind of nice. It's always it's always nice to end one of these one of these cases on an up note or an upbeat. Well, that being but that being said, I do I do feel for for Betsy's daughters. Oh yeah. I and I feel for Betsy's whole family because it sounds like the Lincoln County authorities have no interest in pursuing anyone else. Right. And that's really frustrating, especially because when you this is the problem with blind sight blind sight or uh, blinders. Uh huh. Is that when you, if you can't admit you're wrong, then the people who are hurt the most are the people who lost someone. Mm-hmm. And it sounds very much like Betsy was, who was a very lovely person, that her family probably won't ever get the real closure that they hope to get. Right. Because the prosecution and the detectives thought being so, obstinate assholes. Yeah. Because they're so stubborn about... That bothers me more than anything else in this whole case, yeah. is the fact that, that they just can't... Well, I mean, it doesn't matter anymore for some of them because they got fired. Good. But uh, the fact that you obstinately follow one line of thinking just because you had decided that that was the way it was, and even when you've been abjectly proven wrong, you still stick to your guns about it, is it's unconscionable. Like, I don't think that the, that there's ever been a better use of the word unconscionable than in this situation. And those people don't deserve to be in the positions that they're in. That's all, all there is to it. Yeah. So in the end of all things, despite the fact that we're happy Russ is out, we'd love it if they would investigate further and find out... Just, just some kind of closure. Whether whether exactly. something comes of it or not, I feel like the family would at least like closure. Absolutely. So that was the case of Betsy Faria. Thank you guys so much for listening to us this week and or this month. And thank you to everyone who's recently started listening to us and all of those of you who have continued to listen to us. So thank you so much for continuing to listen to us. We'd uh, love it if you would rate it, rate and review us. We would on iTunes or on, whatever platform you listen absolutely. to us on. Absolutely, we love that. We you can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter with at Into the Basement. Yep. And also on Instagram at Into the Basement. Into the Basement podcast. Into the Basement podcast. Yes. I should really learn those one of these days. Well, and if you want to, you can email us at thebasementhosts at gmail dot com. Yes, please do. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to hear anything you have to say to us, good or bad. We're glad to hear from you. And with that, uh, I, f- I believe that that is uh, that is a, that's a wrap for this month. That's a wrap, and we'll see you next month. Bye. Thanks.